I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5, the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. As we've been uh, making our way through this letter uh, that Peter wrote to scattered Christians uh, some 2,000 years ago, we, we came a couple of weeks ago to this passage in chapter 4 that, that I just keep coming back to in my mind where Peter says uh, back in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. And the question that I posed to us back when we looked at that passage is, what should we do? How, sh- how should we live when the world is tearing at the seams and turned upside down? And we saw that what God requires of us, what He urges us to do, is really ordinary. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another, serve one another, those kind of things. We need that perspective uh, because the temptation for every generation is to think that what we are experiencing is unusual and extraordinary. Um, The truth of the matter is many people have gone through what we are enduring. There have been a lot of jokes about 2020, right, And, and all the wonderful things that it has brought us. And I want to be clear, I am here for all those jokes. If you have any, send them to me, and I'll get a good laugh at it. It's good to to laugh. We need to be able to laugh. But at the same time, we also need to know that there is nothing new under the sun. Humanity, and the church in particular, has weathered plagues before. Uh, They have withstood social unrest. They have endured hurricanes and wildfires and... Murder hornets, maybe, I don't know uh, if that's new or what, but I, I, don't, I don't say that to minimize or to downplay those things. They have caused a tremendous amount of suffering in our world in a very brief span of time. But the question that I want us to keep coming back to is how should we then live? What should we do in light of the end of all things? And this morning, I want to pose another uh, related question. Uh, And that is this, not only what should we do, but I also want to ask, what do we need? What does the church, what do God's people need to endure in faithfulness? We need the Lord's help. We need His strength. As we saw last Sunday, we need His presence with us in the midst of the fiery trial. But the way He gives that help and strength and the way that He is present with us is, is often through ordinary means. And so I want us to read together here in 1 Peter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pause pause there and let's pray together. Lord, I pray uh, above all other things that none of us would come before you this morning with a proud heart because you've just told us in your word that you oppose the proud, but that you give grace to the humble. So Lord, I pray that you would humble us before you, that you would help us to humble ourselves before your word. And Lord, that we would not um, look here in your word to see how others have failed, but that we would look and see um, your faithfulness and your perfection and your excellency. And God, that we would humble ourselves before you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so one of the most fundamental things that we need to clear up before we get too far this morning is is the question of to whom Peter's talking here in this passage. When he says, I exhort the elders among you, who's he talking about? The word elders in this context does not indicate a certain age group. It's not that he's saying, okay, let me talk to the older people in the congregation. The word elder here is is a title that he's using to describe pastors, regardless of their age. Uh, The New Testament uses three words interchangeably to describe the office of pastor. It uses the word elder, and it uses the word overseer, and it uses the word shepherd. In fact, I want to show you an example in Acts 20 where you kind of see all three of those ideas in the same place. In Acts 20, uh, Paul summons the elders of the church of Ephesus. He, He summons, sends for them to come to him. And then he says to them, to the elders of the church, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elders, shepherds over the flock, and overseers. And that same threefold pattern is is here in 1 Peter 5. Peter addresses the elders and he tells them to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. Elders, shepherds, overseers. The most useful word we have in our vocabulary uh, for this office today is the word pastor. Now, uh, here's where I want to say to you, please don't check out right now, okay? Um, The temptation is to say, this sermon does not apply to me. This is for, for Matt and Colby. Uh, they, they might as well have just, you know, done that this week while they were up here by themselves and we could have just skipped over this or we could have taken the Sunday off or whatever the case may be. I, I just want to make a simple observation, okay? And that is that the text that is before us is in fact before us. God does not put a footnote here at 1 Peter 5.1 and say, if you're a pastor, I want you to look down at the bottom of the page and I've got some instructions that are for you. If you're, if you're not a pastor, if you're not an elder, then just skip down to verse 5 or verse 6. This is here. God wants the whole church to hear what He has to say to pastors. You need to hear it 
so that you can know how to pray for us, and you need to hear it so that you can know what to expect from us, so that you won't have expectations for us other than what God requires of us. And so all of us need to know how to measure faithfulness. And, and by the way, don't worry, I, I am going to apply this passage to you too, so but we'll get there. What I want us to see, though, is that, is that faithfulness is a mutual endeavor. Pastors are not employers. We are shepherds. We can't fire the sheep. If you're acting up, we can't come in and say, you're fired, get out, go find another church, go find another whatever. We can't do that. Now, we could, but that probably wouldn't be the best way to go out about our job. Um, but we're, we're, we're shepherds. We, we don't fire sheep, we lead them. And so if we're going to fulfill our task, we need you to fulfill yours. We need you to be faithful sheep if we're going to be faithful shepherds. So with that in mind, I want to try to summarize the big idea of this text by saying this. Scattered flocks need faithful shepherds. Scattered flocks need faithful shepherds. I said at the beginning that... Uh, Peter's going, going to answer the question here of what do the Lord's people need to weather the storm, to, to endure in the midst of the end of all things. Among other things, we need one another. We need the encouragement of others. We need the love of others. We need the hospitality and the service of others. And now Peter goes a step further to say, not only if you're a sheep, if you're one of God's sheep, not only do you need to belong to a flock, but every flock needs faithful shepherds. There's a, there's a word at the beginning of this passage, passage, the word so. And what that does is it connects back to what Peter's just said at the end of chapter 4. And what Peter's just said at the end of chapter 4 is, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He's just finished saying that it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. He's saying to the church, you, from now until Jesus comes back, you are going to be in times of trouble. You're going to endure hardship. You're going to encounter suffering, and you need to be able to suffer not because you're sinful, not because you're foolish, but according to God's will, and to entrust your souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And after he says all that, he says, So, because that's true, because you're about to go through a fiery trial, because you're about to be in a time of judgment and a time of sifting and revealing, because of all that, I now exhort the elders among you. So if scattered flocks are going to endure the fiery trial, they need faithful shepherds. Now, I am well aware that, uh, that this particular church existed long before I was born, long before anybody here was born, by the way. And Lord willing, it's going to exist long after we're all dead. So when I say that scattered, every scattered flock needs faithful shepherds, what I don't mean, I don't mean this church needs me. Because there was a long time when y'all didn't need me, and Lord willing, there's going to be a long time when y'all don't need me anymore. It's certainly true that many flocks have survived seasons when they did not have a faithful shepherd, but that should not be the norm. God entrusts His sheep to human shepherds. Notice 
Peter says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. It's not my flock. It's not your flock. It's not anybody else's flock except His. Shepherd the flock of God. It belongs to Him. And He holds His shepherds accountable to His standard of faithfulness. Jump down with me to verse 4, where Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. A few years ago, we had uh, Al Jackson from Lakeview Baptist come and preach here uh, for revival. And uh, I love some of the little stands that he takes on little things because there was a a thing that happened a few years ago at Lakeview where they needed new business cards. And so somebody went and got business cards printed up that said, Al Jackson, Senior Pastor, Lakeview Baptist Church. And he found whoever got the business cards and he took them back and he said, throw these away and get me some new ones because I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd, senior pastor. I'm the under shepherd. I'm the, I'm the pastor, but I'm not the senior pastor. He is. So that's a good reminder to, to all of us that Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. So every human shepherd, every human pastor is under his authority, under the authority of the chief shepherd, which means that pastoral authority is real, but it is limited. I cannot do this job however I want to do it. And you cannot hold me to a standard other than the one to which Jesus holds me. He is the one who determines whether an under-shepherd is faithful or not. So, the million-dollar question then is, how do we measure the faithfulness of a shepherd? If every scattered flock needs faithful shepherds, how do we determine whether a shepherd is faithful or not? Certainly no pastor is perfect, but in order to be deemed faithful, we must generally meet two criteria. So we're going to just boil it down to these two criteria. First is the shepherd's task. Every shepherd has to be faithful to the task that the chief shepherd has given to him. Now, it's, it's not like Peter, Peter gets too specific. He doesn't say every faithful pastor has to perform these specific tasks every week. Um, he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So when you take into account the whole counsel of Scripture, it seems helpful to me to, to describe the, the shepherd's task, the pastor's task in, in three ways, teaching, leading, and caring. And I want to just kind of walk through each of those. teaching leading, and caring. The first task is teaching. Uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul refers to pastors as shepherd teachers. That's what shepherds, what shepherds do. They feed the sheep, not with earthly food, but with heavenly food, with the bread of life, with the truth about the chief shepherd. In 1 Timothy 3, <clears throat> when Paul lays out a series of qualifications for an overseer. Here are the, the list of things that a, a person must be in order to be qualified to be a pastor. In that list, there is only one ability that he mentions. It's all character stuff. There's one ability. He must be able to teach. 
doesn't have to be able to balance a spreadsheet, praise God. It doesn't have to be able to manage a, a huge hundred person staff. He has to be able to teach. So not every person who teaches should be a pastor, but every pastor must be a teacher. And that takes the form of, of preaching to the whole congregation. It takes the form of, of discipling in smaller settings, you know, in a small group or, or even counseling one-on-one -on -one where we're taking the Word of God, we're speaking it into someone's life, applying it to their life. That's the first task of a faithful shepherd is faithful teaching. Second is, is leading. Uh, every faithful pastor has to lead. Uh, Paul tells elders to exercise oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, this leadership has to be matched with holiness. There are plenty of people who are charismatic and who possess leadership qualities but have no business pastoring. And it's not like a pastor has to be competent in everything. Uh, what, the way I often say it is pastors do not have to be omnicompetent. Okay? There are many people in our church who are far more competent than I am when it comes to administration, management, bookkeeping. Uh, Billy Sue joked with me this morning about how she was proud that I'd turned in all my receipts already this month. So praise God for people like her who is, is competent in an area and uses that to serve the church. But a pastor is not a CEO. He's not a CFO. He's a shepherd. Shepherds lead their flocks by lovingly steering them in the right direction with their words and with their example. And then the third task is caring. Every shepherd has to care. And I, I use the word caring there not as an adjective, but as a verb. Of course, we should be caring. Uh, you know, there should be a sense in which we care about you, and I certainly do. Um, but I mean specifically caring as an act. In fact, think about the word oversight. Um, I think, I suspect that when we hear that word, maybe our first sort of uh, association with that word is, is something like a supervisor, someone who's had to oversees this operation. That's not exactly what the Bible means when it uses the word overseer. It's more literal than that. It's someone who watches over which is why overseer and shepherd are, are synonyms. They're different ways of saying the same thing because a shepherd is someone who sort of stands up above the flock and watches over. He sees the big picture. He says, okay, here's where the flock is. Now here's where we need to go. Here's where the flock is. Now here's this one sheep who's starting to stray. I need to sort of go over them and check on them and, and sort of help fold them back in. Well, there's, a, there's a sheep over there who's injured. I need to go over there and, and, and check on them and see um, how I can help them. I need to make sure that the whole flock is being fed, that we're not just sort of feeding you know, one part and not the other, those kind of things. So that's what it means. And it also means um, looking out for wolves, right? Watching out and saying, there's a wolf, and I need to warn the flock about that wolf over there. Those are all ways that pastors watch over, that they care for their flock. So teaching, leading, caring, those are the shepherd's tasks.
Equally important is the other criteria that a shepherd must meet in order to be faithful, and that is the shepherd's character. It's not just about fulfilling certain tasks, but it's about having a certain character. Again, it is possible for for someone to be an eloquent speaker, to be a visionary leader, and to be a charismatic personality without being a faithful shepherd as God defines faithfulness. Pastors, we're told, have to keep a close watch on their doctrine and on their their lifestyle, meaning that faithful teaching and faithful leadership are met with a godly character. Here in in verses 2 and 3, Peter uh, indicates three ways in which pastors should go about fulfilling the task that God has entrusted to them. them. Look again at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then Peter draws three contrasts. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So those are sort of the three uh, character traits that Peter is, is especially pointing us to here that the shepherd shepherds not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Churches don't just need warm bodies filling the shepherd's task. They need someone who is willing to do the difficult work of shepherding the flock of God. Someone who's called by God, someone who is not laboring under a sense of obligation, but with a joy and with a love for God and for the church that compels him to do the work. And churches certainly don't need someone who is in it for shameful gain. Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That's an interesting contrast there. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, meaning what's your motive? Are you doing it because you have an eagerness to please God, or are you doing it because... You're in it for yourself. And the sad truth is that because of the nature of pastoral ministry, there are opportunities for shepherds to take advantage of the sheep, whether that is financially or emotionally or in some other way. And and shameful gain there does not only refer to um, embezzling or or swindling or things like that. It, it, it can be as simple as a pastor who is working for a paycheck rather than laboring for the glory of God and for the good of God's sheep. So for the sake of the flock, it must not be so. And the third sort of character trait there is that churches don't need someone who is domineering. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Churches don't need bullies as pastors. Flocks don't need their sheep, their, excuse me, flocks don't need their shepherds to beat them and, and yell at them and cajole them into doing what the shepherd wants them to do. God has not called pastors to advance themselves at the expense of his sheep. Instead, he calls pastors to be examples to the flock, which means that the task of the shepherd 
is not to beat the sheep into going where they need to go, but it is to say, I'm going to walk that direction because I think this is where God wants us to be, because I think this is the faithful thing for us to do. Now let's go that way. Now, in keeping with the text before us, um, Peter spends four out of five verses speaking to pastors, to, sh to elders, to shepherds. And then you get to verse five. So there's proportionally more that he has to say in these particular five verses to the shepherds than to the sheep. But you do have verse five. So uh, I've spent proportionally more time addressing God's appeal to pastors, but there is also a word to the flock itself. So I want you to notice something here. In verse 1, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you. And then in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And I said that in verse 1, when he said elders, that was not literal in the sense of a certain age group. And so the question is, when he says in verse 5, Five. Likewise, who, you who are younger, is he, is he talking to people who are literally younger in age? Or is he talking to the whole flock? And uh, some people have taken Peter uh, literally there. Um, I, I read several sort of commentaries who said, you know, that people who are, who are younger have, a, have difficulty uh, submitting to pastoral leadership. And uh, I will simply say in the most tactful way I can that that difficulty does not go away with age. So I don't think that Peter is suggesting here that, that young people have a peculiar tendency to not want to be subject to uh, their shepherd. Um, more importantly than that, one thing that is clear is that the New Testament calls on all believers, regardless of age, to submit to pastors under the Lord, not in every way, but under the Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So when Peter says, you who are younger, uh, I take him to mean that those, uh, he's speaking about those who are not elders, uh, those who are not pastors. Either way, he says in the rest of verse 5 there, clothe yourselves, all of you. So nobody's excluded there. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to pick back up with that second half of verse 5 next Sunday, Lord willing. But for now, I simply want to point out that this humility that God requires, it cuts both ways. Scattered flocks need faithful, humble shepherds. And it's also true that faithful shepherds need humble sheep. So, so I want to make a, a personal appeal to you this morning. Um, first of all, I, I certainly want you to pray for me and for Colby that we will live up to the standard God requires of us. I think any pastor who can read these verses and not shake in his boots is delusional. And so I want you to pray for us. I can't speak for every pastor, but I can tell you from my experience, one 
personal struggle that I have is the constant feeling that there is something more I could be doing, that there is something that I could have done better, there is something that I could have said more clearly, that there is someone that I could have cared about more deeply. And so I, I need you to pray for us that God will give us peace and that He will guard our hearts against pride and anxiety and despair and against any sin that would uh, hinder our ability to shepherd faithfully. So that's my first appeal to you, that you would pray for us. And, and here's the second appeal. We focused this morning on the shepherd's task and the shepherd's character. And I was, as I was thinking about that, I, I sort of came to the realization that there is, there is literally nothing that you can do to... Um, there's nothing you can do about my character except pray for me. I mean, by all means, if you, if you see me doing any of these things, uh, domineering or, or anything like that, come and talk to me. That's something you could do about that. But you can't get inside my heart and pull certain strings and make me have a godly character, uh, short of, of praying for me, of course. But I want us to think about those three tasks, teaching, leading, and caring. What I want you to see is that, that shepherding and being shepherded are mutual acts. It requires us being faithful to our task, but it also requires you to be faithful to be taught and to be led and to be cared for. So think about each one of those in turn. Teaching. We can teach and teach and teach until we're blue in the face, but if you don't listen, it does, it does you, you know. no good, right? I can't come to your house and wake you up on Sunday morning. I uh, can't make you listen. I can't make you not be distracted when you're here. I certainly can't make your heart open to receive God's Word. All we can do is just be faithful to His Word and pray that you will be teachable. So we have the responsibility to teach, and you have the responsibility to be teachable. And then leading. We, we cannot lead if you are unwilling to follow. God tells us not to domineer. He tells us not, not to bully. So there's only so much we can do, right? We could sort of, there are, there are things we could do to try to manipulate people into doing what we want them to do, but that's not what we, that's not faithfulness. So we cannot lead if you're unwilling to follow. What God tells us to do is don't domineer, but be examples to the flock, which means for you, that inasmuch as we are setting a good example in word and deed, it's, that's on us, right? It's on us to be examples in word and deed, but it's on you to go with us as long as we're headed toward holiness and love and the mission that God has given us. So we can lay out the vision, we can point and say this is the way, and we can push in that direction, but even the most faithful shepherd can do nothing with a stubborn and prideful flock. So teaching and leading and then caring. Hear me when I say, we want to care for you. We want to know how we can pray for you. you. If, if there is a need that you have or if there is something we can help, uh, we want to be able to do that. But we cannot care for you if you don't share with us how we can do that. We cannot help you bear burdens that we don't know anything about. God is all-knowing, but I am not. 
So I, I can't see into your heart. I can't see the burdens that you're carrying unless you are open about them. So when God tells us there in, in verse 5 to clothe ourselves with humility to one, to one another, that's partly what He means. It can be humbling to express a burden or a need to someone for fear that they might think less of us or they might lose some respect for us or something like that. So in case you're doubting, here's my pledge to you, okay? And I think I can speak for Colby when I say this too. We want to care for you. We want to help you in any way that we can. We want to know how we can pray for you. We want to help you grow in your walk with Jesus, but we can only care for you if you let us. Now, I want to close on a word of thanksgiving. Um, I'm thankful for this flock. Uh, I'm coming up on seven and a half years that God has entrusted me with the task of shepherding you. when I came here, I didn't have to pluck any gray hairs out of my beard, but now I do. That's partly you know, my fault and partly yours and partly my kids, probably. Um, a few years ago, I was, I was speaking to some guys who were in seminary, and uh, uh, they were asking me advice. And this is what I told them. I said, if you're going to be a pastor for very long, there's going to need to be a whole lot of patience. And I set them up because I knew where their, where their mind was going to go. What they thought I meant was, you're going to have to be very patient with whatever church God calls you to. And that's true, right? It, it would be easy to just get frustrated at times and throw your hands up and say, I, I can't do this anymore. But, but being faithful somewhere, you know, for seven and a half years, it takes patience. Uh, but it's helpful to remember that just as much as the shepherd has to be patient with the flock, the flock has to be patient with the shepherd too. And so I said to them, wherever you go, you're going to need to be patient with the people that God has given to you. But keep in mind, and maybe this will help you be patient, that they're having to be patient with you too. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you because I know that the reason I'm here, I've been here for seven and a half years, is partly because I've been patient, but it's also because you've been patient too. Most of all, what I want to say to you this morning is that I'm thankful. Thankful for the chief shepherd. uh, How endlessly patient he is with me and with you. Um, He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He is the one who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he clothed himself in humility. And he became a servant, being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And God raised him from death as a guarantee that whoever turns to him will not be put to shame. So the invitation for us this morning is that whoever puts their hope in him, whoever follows him, will have life. If you come to Jesus, He won't cast you away. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment, and this is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. So I want us to to examine our hearts this morning. Ask yourself, 
How teachable have I been? How leadable have I been? And how easy have I been to, to be cared for? And, uh, and I'll examine my heart too. And so we'll ask the Lord to shine the light of His Word on us and to give us grace to forgive and power to walk in holiness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness, Your faithfulness. As we sang earlier, great is Thy faithfulness. All I have needed, Thy hand hath provided. Lord, we're so thankful that You see our needs and that You give us all that we need. And so, Lord, as Jehoshaphat prayed so long ago, so often, Lord, we find ourselves not knowing what to do, but our eyes are on You. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have heard Your Word today, that You will help us to see what it is that You require of us. Lord, I pray for myself and for Colby that we would be faithful shepherds here. I pray for this church that you would enable us to, to walk towards holiness together, to walk toward love together, and to walk toward the mission that you have given to us. And Lord, that this church would be a beacon of, of light and truth in this community. And Lord, right now, whether it's someone in this room or someone who's listening to my voice somewhere else. Spirit of God, I pray that you would take the word which you have inspired and impress it upon our hearts, that we would know that this word is true and right, and that it would compel us to trust in Jesus and to turn from our sin to follow him. So Spirit of God, would you move in our hearts and would you help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus? We pray all this in His name. Let's stand and sing together.